Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. I would wager that all of us in this room at some point or another have felt to some degree the pangs of hunger and thirst. Whether you've been working out in the hay field all day and you're looking forward to that big pot of pinto beans and cornbread and garden fresh tomatoes that's waiting for you at home. Or you've been helping move and you're sitting down in a room stacked with boxes all around to the best Chick-fil-A sandwich you've ever had in your hands. Or you've been out on the road for hours straight and you've got that sign that comes up and says, all right, there's a gas station at this next exit and that's where we're eating. Or maybe you've been out playing a round of golf, fishing, whatever it might be, fighting through the last point of a long-winded preacher, right? We've all felt those pangs of hunger when our bellies start to tell us, hey, I want you to put something in me. Our parched throat telling us it's time for a drink. We've all had those experiences, but it's likely that most of us in this room, at least I hope that it's the case, that most of us in this room have never truly felt desperate hunger or thirst. Going days without eating, wondering if you'll make it to your next meal, wondering if there even will be a next meal. Most of us, when we begin to feel hunger, when our bellies start to talk to us, we can either say that we've already got a plan in place to satisfy that hunger, or we can very quickly come up with something. Just this past week, it's a marvel of our modern technology and the society in which we live. My wife and children were out of town, and I was craving tacos. And so I pulled out my phone, and I opened up an app, and I told it I want tacos, and an hour later there were tacos on my front door. It's amazing. It's a miracle that you can do these type of things in the society in which we live. But that means that most of us, most of us probably haven't had to go without for very long. However, in Jesus' day, that was certainly not the case. He taught His disciples, as we'll see later in this Sermon on the Mount, this very Sermon on the Mount, to pray for their daily bread. Because most people would wake up in the morning not knowing where their food for that day would come from. There were no refrigerators, no pantries, no grocery stores for that matter. Most people would eke out a subsistence living where they would go to work, they would get paid that day, they would buy the food for that day or the next day, all within the same 24-hour window. And if there was no work, or if there had been a drought or famine, then people starved. And it could be a matter for these people of life or death. So when Jesus tells them, as we're going to read in just a minute, happy or blessed are the hungry, most of the people, many of whom who had, had possibly not even eaten on the very day that they're hearing Jesus preach this sermon, would have looked at him with confusion and possibly even anger. How can hunger and thirst lead to happiness, Jesus? Hunger and thirst is the opposite of happiness. And if you've ever experienced true hunger, if you've even had uncertainty about where your next meal is going to come from, then you know how unhappy a situation that is. 
If you've had children that are crying because their bellies ache from the hunger and there's no food in the house to give them, then you know that this is the opposite of happiness. This is what Jesus' hearers would have known of hunger. And so then as we try to understand what Jesus is saying, as we try to understand how a hungering and thirsting can actually lead to happiness, and let's stand together and read what Jesus actually says to his disciples on this day and to us. If you're able, please stand together as we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. There Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's once more go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come before you today once more in prayer. And and we're so grateful for the hymns that we have already been able to sing as we've been able to sing about how we are able to lean on Jesus and stand on the promises. About the amazing grace that's been poured out to us and the 10,000 reasons that we have to sing your praises. Lord, we marvel at how wonderful you are. We marvel at the fact that you want us to be happy. And you've provided us the path to that happiness, to experience true and lasting happiness. But it is not a path for the faint of heart, Lord. And so I pray that as we read this, as we consider this today, that that we as your people would be willing to examine our own lives and ask, are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? As we come to understand what this means and what this looks like, Lord, if we see that we are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, I pray that by the end of our time together today, you would bring us to repentance That you would bring us to a point of being hungry. Not just for our noontime meal, but for the very righteousness that comes from God. Lord, make your people hungry today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we have done with the other Beatitudes that we've looked at over the past several weeks, I, I want to ask three questions. It's the same three questions that we've been asking of each of these Beatitudes You're probably noticing the pattern here, but we need to understand, one, what is hungering and thirsting for righteousness? What is this? Number two, how do you do it? How do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do do you create this within your life? And number three, what is the result or what is the promise that's associated with hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Now, if we're able to answer these three questions this morning, then we will be able to see and understand more clearly one more step on the path to happiness. As we've said from the outset, Jesus introduces each of these Beatitudes with the words, Blessed are. Happy are. Jesus is telling His people, here is how you can be happy. He's telling His disciples, I want you to be happy. And here's how it's accomplished. Here's how you do it. Here's the path that you must follow. And so as we seek to understand this all the more clearly this morning, we will see just one more step on that path toward happiness. Jesus has already told us that we must be poor in spirit, that we must mourn our sin, and that we must be meek. 
And so then he comes this morning to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What is this? Well, the first thing that we need to understand is that Jesus is using here hunger and thirst as an analogy, which is obvious to us. He's not talking about your belly growling, as some of yours might be now, because it's nearly noon and it's time to eat. Right? This is hungering and thirsting for something that is not food. It is an intense longing. Jesus is taking things that his audience would be familiar with. We all know the pangs of hunger. We all know the, the feeling of thirst that settles in our throat. And so he's taking things that his audience would have been familiar with and he's showing them how to apply them spiritually. He says, happy are those that feel this way, that feel hungry, that feel thirsty, not for food, but for righteousness. Happy are those that starve for righteousness, that desire righteousness above all else. And so hungering and thirsting for righteousness begins with an intense desire. That's what hunger, that's what thirst is. It's an intense desire. When you are truly hungry or thirsty, you'll find nothing else matters. All other priorities shift to this one goal. Getting food or water to sustain your life. You may remember in the Bible that Esau was so hungry from going out and working after a hard day that he was willing to trade his birthright for a bowl of what was basically lentil soup. Now, lentil soup probably doesn't have much value to any of us, but if you are starving, if you're hungry, if you feel like your your body is wasting away, then you'll give whatever you can to get that food, to be refilled. For him, the birthright had no value if he was going to die of hunger, as he said. A millionaire who is dying of thirst in a parched desert wasteland would trade his entire fortune for a glass of cold water. And so hungering and thirsting for righteousness is having such a strong desire for righteousness that nothing else matters. It's your only aim, your only pursuit. The psalmist captures this intense desire in Psalm 42, a psalm you're probably familiar with, verses 1 and 2. There he writes, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, uh, often whenever I read this psalm, I, I think of our Kentucky woodlands here. I've been out hunting deer in those areas before. And normally there's valleys and little streams running through and, and trees all around. And you imagine, you know, a deer kind of frolicking through the woods and then coming up to the stream for a drink of water. But, but the context in which this was written would have been very different. Right? The deer there would have been in very arid climates. They would have been desperate for a stream of, of cold flowing water, especially if they'd been running from a predator. They, they'd be panting longing for the hope that that water would provide, knowing that if they didn't get water, their life would be forfeit. And the psalmist says, In that same way, O God, my soul thirsts for You, for the living God. It's an intense desire, the same as as a parched throat dying of thirst. 
longs for water, so the psalmist says, I long for God, for the living God. The psalmist here exhibits the type of hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about in Matthew. Nothing else can satisfy. Nothing else can fulfill this longing other than God Himself. And so when Jesus talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, He's talking about an insatiable desire for God Himself. To be given the righteousness that only comes from God so that we can be made right with God. So this hunger then, it needs to be intense, an intense longing, but it also needs to be focused. It's a focused hunger. It's a, it's a hunger that's focused on one thing. Righteousness. Righteousness. Now, when my belly is hungry, there's a number of things that I can put in there. Right? Like I said the other night, I, I wanted tacos, but I could have eaten something else and, and satisfied that hunger. I may not have been as happy as I was because of the tacos, but nonetheless, I could have put something else in there. Oreos, a hamburger, right? gummy bears, really anything I can put in my belly and end up happy, except for bananas. I'm not a big fan of bananas, but nonetheless, I, I, can, I can stomach putting about anything in there to make that hunger go away, and it will make me happy. But Jesus says we need to be hungry for the right thing and for one thing. If we want to be fully satisfied, there's only one thing that can satisfy this longing, and that is righteousness. Righteousness. And specifically, a righteousness that can only come from God Himself. The language that Jesus even uses here, it's interesting when you look at it. Normally, when we say that we are hungry for something, we imply that we want part of something. You know, when I say, I want pizza. I typically mean I, I want a slice or two of pizza. Now, maybe when I was 16 or 17, I, I would want the whole pizza. But, but typically when we say I'm hungry for something, we just want part of it. right? If, if we're sitting at the dinner table and I ask someone to pass the bread my way, I'm going to take one of the pieces of bread. But when Jesus uses this language here, he actually means it in a way that's just the opposite. When he says that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, he, he says in the original language that he doesn't want people that hunger and thirst for just a part of righteousness. He wants someone who hunger and thirst for all the righteousness, for the whole pizza, for all the bread, for all the righteousness, for perfect, complete, total righteousness. A righteousness that can only come from God himself. The Bible tells me that all of my righteous deeds, all the right, if I could take every righteous thing that I have ever done, the most pure thoughts that I have ever had, the most self-sacrificial, unselfish, kind things that I've ever done, and we're able to amass them all in a big pile for all of you to see, you wouldn't be impressed. Because the Bible says they're filthy rags. They're useless. The best things that I've ever done. The things that, that you might pat me on the back for if you were to know about them. With God, they're filthy rags compared to His perfect righteousness. So my longing for righteousness, if I want true righteousness, full, perfect, complete righteousness like Jesus is talking about here, it has to come from outside myself. It has to come from God alone. It has to be His righteousness because He is the very source 
of true righteousness. Now many people may be willing to come to God for any number of reasons. People may be willing to come to God when they're in financial trouble. And the numbers just don't add up at the end of the month. There's more bills than there are money. People may be willing to come to God when they or someone they love is sick. And they want God to bring healing. We read about in Sunday school this morning, Naaman. And how he was willing to go to Israel to seek the prophet who could bring him healing when he had no other recourse. Some people are willing to come to God when their marriage is in shambles. When it seems like there's no other hope to hold together this union. Some people are willing to come to God when they keep getting fired from their work and on and on it goes. Some people come to God when they're stuck in an addiction. People think that when they reach the depths of their despair that they will go to God who will then help them out. Who will kind of pick them up, dust off their britches a little bit and send them back on their way. But that's not a hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a hunger and thirst for a solution to your problem. That's a false hunger. It's a hunger not for the source of all blessing and hope and truth and righteousness, but a hunger and thirst for you to get out of your bad situation. We don't want God, we just want God to help us out a little bit. Jesus says, no, you must hunger and thirst for true righteousness. That's why He doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessings. Blessed are those... He doesn't even say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God because He doesn't want this to be misunderstood. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because that's the thing that we can long for that doesn't bring us any material benefit. Right? Doesn't bring us the things that we might hope that God would supply us as a good and kind Father. And often God does bless us. Often God does bring healing. Often God does alleviate financial hardships and and difficulties in relationships. But that's not why we come to Him. We come to Him because we're hungering and thirsting for the thing that He alone can provide, and that is righteousness. In John chapter 6, Jesus illustrates this false hunger. Now really, that whole chapter... That whole chapter is dealing with Jesus explaining what this hunger is supposed to look like and trying to help the people understand. Now, I'm not going to read all of this, but I would encourage you maybe to go back, make a note, and and read John chapter 6 because in that chapter, Jesus is illustrating exactly what he's talking about here on the Sermon on the Mount. In John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with a miraculous multiplication of a small amount of food that they did have. And after this, immediately after he feeds them, we read that Jesus goes away. He leaves. But the people seek him out. They track him down. And there they have an important conversation that demonstrates the difference between hungering and thirsting for righteousness and hungering and thirsting for solutions to your problems. You see, the people had seen what Jesus had done with the food and they'd said, wait a second. This is awesome. Jesus, feed us like this forever. We'll make you king. We want you to rule over us and just keep giving us this food, man. It's wonderful. But Jesus tells them that that's not what he's come to do. He says, listen, 
You ate this and your bellies were full for a little while. That's good. But, but I am the bread from heaven, Jesus says. God has sent me to satisfy my people, Jesus says, but not the way that you're looking for. I've not come to satisfy you with fish and loaves, not with food. And at the end of this conversation, the people were disappointed. They wanted their bellies filled, but Jesus was offering them himself. He was offering to satisfy not their bellies, but their souls. And so the chapter concludes with these sad words in verse 66. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Oh, they were happy to follow him so long as he was multiplying the fish and the bread. So long as he was filling their bellies, they were happy to go along with him. But as soon as he said, no, I'm giving you something better. I'm giving you eternal life. But I'm not here to satisfy your temporal, physical needs. People said, all right, that's it. I'm out. I'm out. But listen to what Peter says. It says in verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, if they were following Jesus because they wanted their bellies filled, they could have gone somewhere else. They were fishermen. They wanted fish, they could get in a boat and go and do it. Now, spoiler alert, later Peter actually does that. Right at the end of Jesus' ministry. But, but here Peter recognizes, Lord, you've got something that we can't get from anywhere else. You have the words of eternal life. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not talking about getting your bellies full. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about righteousness that comes from only one place. God alone. Many people stopped following Jesus because they did not hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hungered and thirsted for the benefits that they thought Jesus could give them. And so we may need to evaluate ourselves and ask, do we hunger and thirst for righteousness or do we simply want the benefits that we think Jesus can give us? One will lead us to eternal happiness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But if we're longing for only the benefits, all that will result in is one day hearing, depart from me, I never knew you. And so in answer to this first question, what is hungering and thirsting for righteousness? It is an intense Longing that is focused on one thing alone. The righteousness that only God can provide. So then, how do we do this? What does this actually look like? You know, most of us don't try to get hungry. It just happens. Right? I can't help it. My belly says, put something in me. It growls. And I go stand in front of the refrigerator. And look. And then I walk away. And then I come back and look again. Hoping that there's something there that I missed before. And we repeat the cycle until I find something to put in my belly. But how do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? How can we instill this desire within us? Well, there's three things that we must do. And, and this applies to both the non-believer and the believer alike. Listen, if you are living today, if you are listening to this message, whether it's at 11.48 on Sunday morning, July 24th, or if you're listening to it a month from now or later this week or, or whenever it might be, 
then the truth is you have not yet reached the full degree of satisfaction that God can provide. Now, if you're a believer, that's good news because it means that God has more for you. God wants you to be happier than you are right now. God wants you to be more satisfied in Him than you are right now. And listen, if you're a believer, that doesn't end. That doesn't end when you close your eyes in death because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you'll be more fully satisfied on that day than on any day prior to that. In 10 million years from now, when you are in heaven or on the new earth, you will be more satisfied then than you were a thousand years before that. The satisfaction never ends. It never diminishes. So you haven't yet reached the full degree of satisfaction that God can provide. But if you are not a believer, if you haven't yet submitted your life to Jesus Christ, then guess what? You haven't even sat down at the table yet. You are starving, whether you realize it or not. And God has provided, He has laid out a feast for you that will result in your full satisfaction. And yet, up to this point, you have still refused to sit down at His table and eat. And so I just want to invite you, right now in the middle of the sermon, if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, Today is the day He has a feast of delight and satisfaction laid out for you. And He is inviting you to come and eat. He's inviting you to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, whereby you can and will be saved. He will not turn you away. You can do that today. You can have a seat at the table today. At the end of the service, if you'd like to talk to me about how that can be true of you, then I want you to go ahead and make up your mind right now that you're going to come and talk to me at the end of the service so we can share with you how you can have a seat at the table. But if you're a believer, if you have already trusted in Jesus Christ, then you're already sitting at the table. You've begun to eat, but God will continue to satisfy you day after day. Your satisfaction is only beginning. So how then do we continue today to hunger and thirst after righteousness in the same way that we did On the first day when we were saved. How do we experience it? Well first. We believe in Jesus Christ alone. In John chapter 6. That I referenced a minute ago. I want to read to you this interaction. That the people have with Jesus. Before they leave disappointed. There Jesus tells the people. In verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes. But for the food that endures to eternal life. Which the son of man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, this is the people, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So you want to do the works of God? You want to to be going about the business that God has for you? You want to walk in obedience to what God says in His Word, then the very first thing you must do is believe in Him who He he has sent. It's the very first step. There's no getting around this. If you want to be satisfied, if you want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, the first thing you must do is believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him who He has sent. This is the works of God. The people want to know, what does it look like? 
What tangible things can we do that's the works of God? And Jesus says, believe in me. Believe in me. Second, the second thing we can do to hunger and thirst after righteousness is to forsake everything else. And listen, let me back up just a minute. If you're a believer here this morning, you think, okay, check, I've already done that. I've already believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you need to wake up tomorrow morning and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to follow Him today just like you did on the first day that you were saved. You're not getting saved anew every single day. But you are waking up and choosing to walk in faith to the one that is faithful. To the one that has called you. To the one that has saved you. Every new day brings its own challenges that require faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get up tomorrow and we face our day with faith in the name of the one who God has sent. But second, we must forsake everything else. As we said earlier, this is a directed hunger, a hunger for a very specific prize. We pursue the righteousness of God with all the frantic nature of a man that is dying of thirst pursuing water. Paul tells us in Philippians 3 verses 8 through 11, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I forsake everything else. I count it as loss. He says, I count it as rubbish. Now, the, the original Greek is more intense there. He says, I count, I, I count it as dung. Everything else, it's trash, it's dung compared to knowing Christ. And the righteousness The righteousness, he says, I'm pursuing a righteousness that's not of my own, that doesn't come from being a good person, that doesn't come from obeying the rules, that doesn't come from saying the right things and not saying the wrong things. It's a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. That's it. He says, everything else counts as nothing compared to this. And so he says, by any means possible, I'm pursuing this so that I may attain a resurrection from the dead. Listen, if Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God and He has been crucified on a cross and has been raised from the dead, then nothing else in this world matters compared to that. It's the most important truth, the most important reality that that we can ever imagine. Because if that is true, there's an eternity waiting for us that makes these 60, 70, 80, 100 years that we get to spend on this earth a drop in an ocean. And all of our problems, all of the trials that we face, they become so small by comparison. So Paul says, I'm pursuing this as if it's the only thing that matters because it is all that matters. And so we forsake everything else. That doesn't mean that we just go bury our heads in the sand and we ignore what's going on in the world around us. No, because Christ has called us to live a certain way as his followers. But we live that way because we know that this is what matters. 
Because we know that the resurrection is coming. Eternity is coming. Third, third thing we can do, we we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we forsake everything else. If you want to know how to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you need to put yourself in righteousness way. Now, I'm borrowing this phrase from Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous British pastor. And he points us from this passage to blind Bartimaeus. If you don't remember Bartimaeus, he was a blind man who heard that Jesus was coming his way. And so what did Bartimaeus do? He goes and he stands in the street where he knows that Jesus is going to be passing by. And he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus couldn't heal his own eyes. He couldn't go to a doctor that could give him sight. But what he could do was put himself in Jesus' way. Where he knew Jesus would be. And he cried out to him. And so we need to put ourselves in righteousness way. We can do this in several ways. First, I think most importantly, we can belong to a church. It is the church where God expects His standard of righteousness to be exercised and applied. If you're a believer, if you're a member of Boone's Creek Baptist Church, God has called you to be righteous. We have a church covenant that describes what that expectation looks like. Right? And so we come together and we encourage one another. We exhort one another, pushing one another toward righteousness. When we find that someone in our midst is acting unrighteously, when they're breaking the transgressions of God's word, or or when they are breaking God's word and when they are transgressing His law, then we challenge them. And in some cases, we may have to exercise church discipline if they don't repent. Because God has told us that as His people, He expects us to be righteous. It's where we encourage one another. It's where we model righteousness. It's where I learn from the older faithful saints who have been modeling righteousness in their lives for decades. It's where I learn how to be a good husband and a good father from those that have been good husbands and good fathers. How can we say then that we are seeking righteousness? When we refuse to join or actively attend the very place that God intends to be an outpost of righteousness in this world. It's like being hungry and refusing an invitation to go to a feast. Each week the church comes together to feast on righteousness. As we sing praises to God together. As we bow together in prayer. As we open His word together. If you hunger for righteousness, then you will go where it is found, where it is instructed upon, where it is promoted. And that's the church. Or at least it should be. You'll hear people say from time to time, I don't don't have any business going to the church. It's all full of a bunch of hypocrites. But here's the thing. As church members, we admit it. We say, yes, I'm a sinner. I have... Done things that you couldn't even imagine. And yet God in His grace has saved me. And He's given me His righteousness. It's not my righteousness. None of you, listen, none of you as representatives of Boone's Creek Baptist Church should be out there touting your own righteousness. It's what Paul says in Philippians 3 that we read just a minute ago. He said, it's not of my own righteousness. But it's by faith in Christ. So when someone says the church is full of hypocrites, say, yeah, come and join them. You'll fit right in. We all need Jesus. We've all done terrible things. 
The difference is that the hypocrites there are trusting in the forgiveness that He provides through His shed blood. And so come and be a part of that. And so I know that even now there's people watching this live stream who's unable to be in our midst. I know that there's circumstances sometimes that prevent us from meeting together. And, and I'm not talking about that. I know that you want to be here. And so I would just ask this simple question. Do you miss being together with the body even as you're watching on your computer, on your phone, on TV? You should. You should want to be together with God's people even if you're prevented from doing that because of bad health or concerns about COVID or whatever else it might be. You should still want to be there physically present because this is the place that God has called us to come together and practice and exercise the righteousness that He describes here. But second, we put ourselves in the way of righteousness by reading God's Word. How can we say that we are hungry for righteousness if we refuse to read His Word? Peter told Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go, Jesus? You've got the words. Here is the truth that satisfies your longing soul in God's Word. If you're neglecting His Word, then evidently you're not hungry enough. You're not hungry enough. So how do we get hungry in God's Word? Well, we start by actually reading it. You know, back at the beginning of COVID, uh, was staying home a lot, and uh, maybe some of you all experienced this as well. You don't have anywhere to go. You didn't have anything to do. And so you sat at home and you ate, right? All those snacks that you had and drank a lot of sodas. And, and I decided, listen, if I'm going to be at home all the time, if we've got, not got anywhere to do, I'm going to have to train myself to stop drinking sodas. And, and I started wanting to replace the sodas with seltzer water. Now, some of you maybe have had seltzer water. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. There's no like middle ground where people are like, ah, it's okay. Either you like it or you don't. Well, I was someone who didn't. But I thought, okay, I've got to fix this. I've got to fix this bad habit. And so I started trying to drink some. And the first couple of cans, I couldn't get through them. But, but pretty soon, I started drinking it. And in shock of all shocks, now I actually like it. Right? I, I, I changed my tastes. And so you may say, well, well, I just can't get into reading God's Word. I don't long for it. I don't have that longing. Well, the solution to that is start reading it. Start reading it. Spend a little time today. Spend a little more time tomorrow. A little more time the next day. And pretty soon what you will find is you begin to crave it. You begin to long for it. You begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And third, we do the same thing through prayer. We put ourselves in righteousness way through prayer. God promises to give freely to all who seek Him. So seek Him. Talk with Him. Men, lead your families in prayer and in study of God's Word. Because how will your children hunger and thirst for righteousness if you never whet their appetites? Now again, you may protest that you would like to do those things, but you simply don't have time. But think about how insane that statement is. Would a starving man say that he would like to eat when offered food, but he simply doesn't have time to? No. If you are starving for righteousness, then you will make it a priority to pursue it. You will reorient your life so that these things take precedence. That's how a hungry man acts. 
He acts as if that food, that water that he's thirsting for, that's the priority and he's going to get it no matter what. But what happens when we do this? What happens when we do hunger and thirst after righteousness? What's the result? Well, the result is a wonderful promise from Christ. He says, if you truly seek after righteousness, you're going to be filled. You're going to be satisfied. In other words, you'll get what you want. You will get what you have longed for. If you set your heart on God and His righteousness, then you'll get it. If your soul pants for the living God, like Psalm 42 says, then you will get Him. If you seek Him, you will find Him. God isn't out there playing hide and seek from you. right? He's not saying, oh, you almost got me. He's not trying to stiff arm us. No, He is waiting with open arms to embrace His people as they come seeking for Him. The reason that people don't find Him is because they don't seek. The reason they don't seek is because they don't hunger. They don't long for Him. If you believe in Christ, as Jesus says in John 6, you will get eternal life. God is inviting everyone to the feast. And if you truly long for Him, He will never turn you away. Because He has already purchased for you the righteousness that you need. He set the table for you. And all you have to do is embrace it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, perhaps my favorite verse, tells us, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. If you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness this morning, Jesus Christ has already purchased that righteousness for you. It's His, and He gives it freely to all those that hunger, all those that seek. He's already paid the price to secure it for you. And so if you hunger after it, you will receive it. And that's good news because that means there is nobody who truly wants heaven, who truly wants God, and wants His righteousness that will fail to receive it. There's nobody that longs for God that God will turn away. It's only those that want something else, that want riches, that want power, that want full bellies, that see God as a means to an end that will be rejected. So what a tremendous promise this is. The question for us then is simply this. Are we hungering? Are we pursuing? Are we seeking Christ and His righteousness? God has issued this invitation. In Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2. For anyone who will accept it. He says come. Everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money. Come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. God wants you to be happy this morning. He wants you to delight in Him. He wants you satisfied. And the good news is it won't cost you a penny. Because He's already paid the price. The only requirement for you is that you be hungry. We already know the path to satisfaction, the path to happiness. It starts with believing that Jesus, the bread of life, has come down from heaven. And if you haven't started there, then you will never be happy. Your belly may be temporarily filled, but your soul will continue to long for something that you do not have. 
As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. So if you have a restless, thirsty heart this morning, then I invite you to come and find your rest in Christ. Come to Him and be satisfied. He will give you His perfect righteousness. And if you've already found that rest in Him, then I would invite you to examine your own life and repent of any hunger, any longing that is not directed solely toward Christ. As Paul says in Philippians 3, repent of hungering for lesser things, things that can never satisfy. For neglecting the feast that is spread out before you. Continue to hunger. Never lose that appetite for the things of God. Return to His table time and time again so that He and He alone will continue to satisfy you. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your Word this morning and for this incredible promise to satisfy all those who come seeking the righteousness that You provide. Lord, I pray that our souls would delight in You and in You alone. And Lord, if we are seeking You as a means to an end, if we are seeking wealth or stable relationships or even healing, Lord, but we would be happy to get those things apart from You and without You, Lord, cause us to see the error in that. Lord, I pray if there is one here who is yet unbelieving, if they haven't trusted in the good news of Jesus, and You have been working in their heart all morning, if You have been revealing to them their need, and You've been stirring in them a longing, a hunger for You, then Lord, I pray that You would draw them to Yourself even now. Cause them to come and find the hope that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859 859- 263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.